Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. As the road to the regular season gets shorter, we continue our journey through the NFC South by taking a look at a team ready to make a move up the standings in 2017 in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Can the Bucks take the necessary steps, or are they still just a year away? The host of the PewterCast podcast join us on the next NFC South preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Almost done with this one. It gives us three down with one to go in the NFC South before we move on to the NFC North. And then finally, our beloved Chicago Bears. What's going on, everybody? Larry D back for part three of the NFC South preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Hope everyone is having a uh, a good weekend. It is uh, Sunday afternoon that I'm uh, recording this uh, intro we did the interview with the Pewtercast guys on Thursday night but of course that was less than 24 hours after I'd spoken to um, Tyler Raymond for the Saints so we had to let this one had to let that show breathe a little before we put this one out but uh, nonetheless it was a great interview you guys will enjoy it uh, or at least uh, most of you will uh, I, I think um, um, on on Wednesday night when I when I uh, interviewed uh, Tyler you guys know I'm a stickler for technical issues, and I want to put out the best show possible for you, but if, if only because that's when my OCD kicks in. I hear little things, and they bug me to death. Well, one of the things when I was interviewing Tyler was that uh, he confessed to me before we started recording that he had like a little uh, a cheap $10 uh, like headset mic on, and basically you could really tell. Um, you know, for any of you audio files out there, you could kind of tell that he wasn't working with the best, uh, equipment. So when I got the show edited together, um, you know, when I'm editing it and, and everything, I can make it sound in my headphones the way that I want it to, but how it actually sounds when it's posted is usually something completely different. So I went to download the show on, on Thursday to give it a listen to, to see what it sounded like to you guys when you get a chance to, to listen to it. And while I was downloading it, I was uh, downloading it from the um, podcast app on, uh, on, I, on, on, on my iPhone, and I see that I had a couple of new iTunes reviews. And um, I also saw uh, something that I did not, well, I mean, I don't say that I didn't anticipate it, but something I didn't, wasn't really expecting. Um, you know, not all the positive, not all the reviews that I get are 100% positive. I don't get all five star ratings or anything like that. It, even for a little show like mine that doesn't have the greatest following. But um, 
what I did notice was that uh, you know the the feedback was legit. Um, it's it's what he was feeling, what he was thinking, you know, all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, he was basically complaining about this time of of year, or at least this batch of episodes. Basically saying that he was a Bear fan. Why are we spending time focusing on the Steelers and the Saints and blah blah blah? I don't care about these things. Last sentence of the review was something along the lines of, you know, your, your regular season stuff is great, but these shows are boring. And then to put the icing on the cake, he gave me a one-star review. Um, and that kind of pissed me off. Um, like I said, the feedback, you know, that's that's his opinion. That's how he feels, and that's fine. You know, but the one-star review, man, it's like that one star knocked me down an entire half star. You know, it's like, like I said, I don't have all five star reviews, but it's like four stars and five stars. So I was right at about four and a half stars. And then this dick move that this guy pulled with the one star drags me all the way down to a, uh, you know, I'm down to four stars now, thanks to him. But, uh, you know, so I just, I wanted to bitch about that a little bit. Like I, his feedback is, you know, it's warranted. And I welcome that feedback, you know, like there was actually one of the other reviews was stop talking about your technical issues, <laughs> but that's just the perfectionist side of me. It's like two, two reasons I do that one to let you know that I'm aware uh, that that happens. And two, it's, it's also my way of kind of apologizing for not giving you top notch stuff. So that's, that's why I do that. I, you know, I'm going to try to work on not bringing that up, but to me, when I listen to it, cause I have to listen to the show, when I'm editing it like three or four times before I finally post it. It's one of the reasons why I never really listen to them after they're posted. But, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, that that was in there, you know, people telling me to stop talking about the technical issues, or at least when I do not spending three or four minutes complaining, uh, about them. But that was a big deal last year. You guys, you have no idea, but, um, you know, so like I said, not all the reviews that I get are positive. There are critiques in there. Stop doing this, cut back on that, you know, and I welcome that feedback. But then to tank my my score like that with with a one star review that was a dick move, uh, you know. It, send me an email, send something on, you know. Send me to Twitter, go to the Facebook page, something like that. If you want to, you know, do something like that, but that just drags down my whole uh, my whole average, you know. And I wasn't happy uh, about that. So you know, like I said, I didn't have a problem with his feedback, and um, you know, there are two things that he can do about the about the, the the opponent preview episodes it's like nothing and, and and like it because i love doing these shows i've gotten a lot of great feedback unlike his about me doing these shows and and what you guys think of them and you know on top of it all i've been doing opponent preview episodes since like my second year doing the show and for those of you just tuning in this is my 11th season doing the chicago bears review so this is not new what I'm doing, interviewing people and spending an entire episode on one team. I just started doing that in the last couple of years, but doing opponent preview episodes and dedicating entire episodes to people who aren't the bears, not a brand new thing uh, that I've been doing here uh, on the show. So just want to kind of get that off my chest. because It's been bothering me uh, the last couple of days. Anyway, um, nothing really big going on on the bear side uh, of things. The, the one cool headline that I did, read was that basically Mitch Trubisky was talking about how he's uh, pretty hell-bent on not holding out uh, this season. He anticipates that he will be in camp on time. He is currently the 
highest unsigned draft pick uh, in the league right now. I guess Miles Garrett signed his deal a while back, but uh, Trubisky at number two is the highest uh, unsigned uh, draft pick uh, in the out there uh, right now. But he vows that he will be, uh, you know, he will get his contract situation straightened out, so he will be in camp on time. He even threw some. Uh, some language in there making it sound like he'd be he'd be at practice even without a contract kind of thing i guess to just show uh how badly he wants to uh be there and then the last thing that i wanted to talk about was the um the all or nothing series on amazon prime it it basically it goes through uh, unlike um in in the vein of hard knocks instead of just following a team around through preseason and training camp all or nothing stays with a team for an entire season. And unfortunately, that team was the L.A. Rams, so we knew how that was going to turn out. Or, you know, in a lot of ways, I wasn't looking forward to it because I knew the Rams were 4-12 and and, you know, fired Jeff Fisher midseason and blah, 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 blah. It's still a really great series. It really is. Um, I mean, last year, they hit a home run. They had the Arizona Cardinals went all the way to the NFC championship game so they had a lot more season to squeeze into uh the eight episodes that they produce unlike the uh the rams i mean the the funny thing was there wasn't a lot of postscript in the original series with the cardinals there was like maybe the last 10 minutes of the last episode they talked about what happened after uh the season with the rams they finished the entire season including the jeff fisher firing in seven episodes and spent the entire eighth and final episode on the off season, hiring the new coach, going through the draft process and so on and so forth, getting into the start of uh, mini camps and, and, and whatnot before wrapping it up. And the reason that I bring it up is they went through draft day and here the Rams are without a first round pick because they traded that number one pick away last year to move up and and draft uh, Jared Goff because they went from 15 to 1 to draft Jared Goff uh, with the first overall pick last year. They're sitting there in the draft room, and of course, of course, they spend a few minutes talking about the Bears trading up for Trubisky. Uh, There's Les Snead and Sean McVay, the new head coach of the... uh, of the Rams sitting there um, watching the draft in their war room. And, you know, they make a big deal about, um, oh, there's already been a trade. The Bears have moved up to number two. <laughs> and Les Snead is sitting there. It's like, that can't be for Trubisky. No. It's like, you, you think they would do that? And sure enough, they make the announcement and the famous Rich Eisen, whoa, response to uh, Trubisky going number two overall to the Bears. And, uh, you know, it. The reason that they did it was because of what Les Snead said next. And Les Snead looks over at uh, Sean McVay and says, hey, we made the same move last year, so I'm not going to judge. Now, I don't know if that was like, you know, hey, you know, good for them, or if that was a backhanded way of saying like, you know what, that was a really bad move on behalf of the Bears, but I can't say anything because that would make me a hypocrite. The whole thing just made me laugh that here we are, the Bears and the Rams couldn't be further apart as far as you know they don't have much of a shared history there's almost no rivalry whatsoever between the two teams but instead here we are (laughs) and the Bears still somehow with that moment get themselves included into this series so um you know if you want to see that it's uh the, the the eighth and final episode of the uh of the season 
the show was really, really good. Um, even despite the fact that we were following a team that went through a four and twelve season and fired their head coach with three seasons left to go in, or excuse me, three games left to go in the season, it was still really good. And for us Bear fans, we get to relive that moment and how the Rams' war room reacted to it. So uh, that was uh, really, really interesting. So uh, anyway, that's pretty much all I have right now. Um, the Pewtercast guys, um, Brent Allen and Ren Dax. Really had a great time talking to them uh, on Thursday, uh, talking about the Bucks and uh, you know the season that they had. They're really excited about the team going forward uh, in 2017. And even before talking to these guys, I, ha- I was of the opinion, if you guys remember when I talked to Sander Phillips last season, that uh, you know this is a team that's that's on the move. You know, if they make the the right moves during the off season and a few things bounce their way. In 2017, this is a playoff team. I really think so. And, um, you know, I thought so before I talked to these guys. And, uh, you know, you can you can hear from them. They are really excited about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, going forward. So without further ado, there's myself, Rendax, Brent Allen from the Pewtercast podcast previewing the 2017 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Part three of our NFC South preview has us uh, moseying on down to Florida and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and uh, talking about this team that kind of turned some heads uh, in 2016, helping me out here. We have Brent Allen and Ren Dax from the Pewtercast podcast. Gentlemen, welcome to the Chicago Bears Review. Hey, how's it going, Larry? Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Uh, I'll talk football any day of the week and anytime I can talk about the Buccaneers. I'm there. So once again, thank you for uh, finding us and having us on. My pleasure, guys. And, you know, I I was listening to, to your last show this morning. Um, I did not get through all 17 hours of it. I apologize. <laughs> um, you know, you guys think that I I run the show along sometimes when I go over an hour. These guys, they're just getting started uh, at an hour. The last <laughs> one was like, what, two and a half hours? The OTAs are over. Uh, it was two hours and 56 minutes. There you go. That's actually what it so, clocked in at. So, yeah. So and at an yeah. hour, they're just getting cranked up. They haven't even warmed up their voices yet. So, yeah. Um, and, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Larry, what we've discovered is, is, is it seems like the longer we go, the more listens we get. I don't know. Go figure. Is that right? You know? Yeah. Yeah, huh. it does. But this is, this is just an off season thing. You know, by right. the time we get to the season, uh, we're going to be cranking out two, three episodes a week with various things. And those will get cut down significantly, you know, but right now just being in the off season we spread our shows out a little bit more so there's just more to talk about when we get together right right so um but i heard you guys declare at the beginning brent said you're a 20 plus year buccaneer fan and ren said you're mm-hmm. 40 years so you're a lifelonger then right i'm a lifelonger yeah i was in it day one you know i've seen the pains and the and the trials and you know and the, the very few triumphs that have happened but uh right we're down here really excited about this team uh, that Jason Light's building and Dirk Cutter's heading. And uh, it's uh, I've said this on our podcast before. It's like this is the golden age to be the Bucks fan. Uh, we've got the mm-hmm. pieces in places from head to toe. We've got the quarterback, you know, maybe the first time in franchise history. Possibly if, if we kept Doug Williams, he could have been that guy. Right. But, uh, yeah, we're really excited down here. So 
so you guys you got a 20 year guy and a 40 year guy. you don't sound like anybody who you don't you sound younger than me and i'm 39 but you've been a fan for 40 years so you know the uh, i guess go ahead it might be a little bit of a stretch okay. i am older than you okay. uh, i appreciate the the comment I'm not going to say how old I am. All right. Uh, just because, you know, I like to keep my youthful exuberance there out there on the uh, on the Twitter sphere and, and sure. the podcast world. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm I might be in the later half of my 40s, maybe, maybe. But I, I cannot confirm. Okay. All right. So then, you know, uh, listening to the show, I know that Brent is either has moved or is moving to Jacksonville, and. Are you are you Ren? Are you in Tampa? Are you nearby? Where are you guys at? I live I live in St. Pete, which oh. if you're not familiar with the Bay Area, it's kind of set up like Oakland and San Francisco. You okay. know, there's one city on each side of the opening of the bay, and there's a bridge that connects us. All right, okay, because it's just that I started doing the interviews about other teams a couple years ago, and I have found that almost none of the people that I talk to that are fans or bloggers, writers, podcasters of their respective teams, almost none of them live in their team's market. So right. you guys are actually closer right. to your team than I have talking to, like I talked to a guy from the Saints yesterday. He lives in upstate New York. So, yeah. Yeah, I heard that. Where you just came from, Brent, um, in South Carolina, that's where one of yeah. my, my former guests, uh, Lori Lattermo-Volkman, uh, for the Mile High Report for the Broncos. So she's right. literally on the opposite end of the country from the team that she uh, roots for and writes about and everything. And I found yeah. this to be the the rule, not the exception, as far as who I've been able to get uh, on the show. Yeah, and you know you know what I think that is, is where you know we're, we're missing the camaraderie of our fellow fans when you don't live in the market. Right. And so uh, you, only, you, you know, through the wonder of the Internet, you start connecting with other fans – uh, I mean, Ren and I didn't know each other until until the podcast started, and uh, uh, he guested on the show a few times, and and we developed a rapport, and and brought him in as a co-host, and he's been killing it ever since. And um, you know, you, it it's uh, I think that might have a lot to do with it is just the fact of I don't have anybody else out there, so I want to talk about my team because nobody around here is talking to me about my team. Right. You know, uh, <laughs> if I had to guess. That's what I'd say the genesis of that was, because that certainly was it for me. Uh, when I lived in Tampa for a bunch of years, it was great. But getting out of Tampa, being the, the lonely solo guy out there, especially for a team like the Bucks, it doesn't have a it has not historically had a great national uh, fandom, so to speak. Right. Um, you know, you can tend to be the, the solo guy out there. So sure. Um, so what what would you say your favorite moment as a Bucks fan would be? I mean, would it be 2002 or are there other moments that kind of rank ahead of that? I don't I, I don't know how anybody could not have their favorite moment be the winning of the Super Bowl. Right. Uh, you know, to me, that's one of those. Uh, I, I remember that just like I remember things like I remember where I was when you found out that Princess Diana died. And I remember where I was when the clock struck midnight in, in 2000. And you right. remember where you were, uh, you know, for the older generations. I'm sure they remember where they were when JFK died. You remember where you were when the. The yeah, all the God, all these are negative. No, I don't mean How negative about the, the things, challenger but explosion while we're talking about death. And exactly. I absolutely I absolutely remember that. I yeah. was in second grade. Me too. And, and watching it on TV. And, uh, you know, it's it's you just remember things about where you are. They're etched in your memory. And certainly that Super Bowl game. And, and it's probably the single game that I've rewatched the most over the years. It's the one sure. you go back to because it was a glorious game. So 
uh, yeah, for me, it's really it's winning the Super Bowl uh, in, in 2000. It was the 2002 season, but 2003 when it actually happens. So. Right. How about you, Ren? I think most Buck fans would, would pick uh, the Rondé Barber pick six that, that got us to the Super Bowl. Sure. And then yeah. The championship that was game. great. Yeah. yeah, finally so getting good. over the hump. Yeah, finally getting over the hump, beating the Eagles. But mine's a little more personal because, uh, I, you know, I was lucky enough. My, my father uh, had season tickets to the Buccaneers the first 10 years. And it was, I guess, the Bucks' fourth season. And uh, all we had to do was win one more game and we we're in the playoffs. And uh, I don't I don't I'm sure Bears fans uh, don't know much about. Oh, the Buccaneers how did I know history. you were going to do that? This, OK. I, I, I was like, I don't know that, but as like, just something tells me that you probably had to beat the Bears to do that. And no, 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 no. okay, I all right. No, I was, I was just saying that I, I was saying that I, that I'm not sure that Bears, you know, the Bears listeners know how bad the Bucks the first two oh, years yeah. of their existence was. Yeah, uh, we lost the whole mm-hmm. entire first year and won the last two games of the second year. Right, and this is the fourth year. And for the last three weeks of the season, all we had to do was win a game, and we're in the playoffs. And it was pouring down rain at the Old Sombrero, Raymond, uh, uh, the Old Sombrero, which was Tampa Bay Stadium, and we were playing the Chiefs. And I was there, and I was in my poncho, so you know, soaked to the bone because the water was just cascading down the steps like waterfalls. And uh, we won three nothing to beat the Chiefs to get into the playoffs. Nice. And that was like that was my my it's still my best Bucks memory. Uh, as a child because it's, it's so nostalgic to me well i i have one it's not necessarily a, a a bucks moment but i had the good fortune in 2001 november 2001 my alma mater western illinois university travels to tampa to play uh south florida at raymond james stadium and before the game mm. uh the athletic director was on the field do you know who that was Leroy Selman. Uh, Leroy Selman, correct. Yeah, I went, yeah. When I heard that he was down there, I went down there and I and I uh, introduced myself to him because who doesn't want to shake hands with a Hall of Famer? Right. So mm-hmm. I went down there and I, I spoke with him uh, for a few moments. Very nice man and uh, wished me luck even though I'm sure he didn't mean it. So uh, <laughs> moving along, gents. Uh, last year in 2016, it was really a, a – you, you had two seasons in one uh, yes. last season. You got off to yes. a – you, you got that big win over the Falcons to start, but then you lose three in a row. And the, throughout the first eight games of the season, you're three and five. And in mm-hmm. this, you're, you're heading into this Week 10 matchup with the Bears. And um, I, for one, was actually looking forward to it because, number one, it was the game after our bye week. And before the bye, we had dismantled the Minnesota Vikings on national television out of nowhere. Like, we were supposed to be one and five and be embarrassed in this game, we destroyed the Vikings. Like, okay, maybe we're turning this thing around. The Buccaneers are mm-hmm. ripe for the picking. Week 10 comes around, and we lose 36-10, to 10, and it wasn't even that close. And from there, <laughs> Tampa Bay wins five in a row to finish the second half, 6-2, and two, just barely misses the playoffs. Yeah. So what was so different about the two halves of the, of the season? I mean, w- was it the schedule? Because you were 0-4 to start the year. That was the other reason I was excited. You guys hadn't won a home game all season. Here we are. We're coming mm-hmm. in, and we give you your first home win of the season, which was awesome. But, uh, you know, five-game win streak. You finish 6-2. and two, You just barely missed the playoffs, looking nothing like the team that started the season. So what changed? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to go to something that we talk a lot about on, on our show and on our podcast. And uh, people 
think that it has something to do with it or not. But uh, to me, what really changed, uh, because we too, it, we weren't coming off of our bye week, but it was, it was uh, we were coming off of a Thursday night game. Right. So we had like a mini bye week thrown in there. It was a little bit of a longer thing. And we had just gotten trounced by the, I think it was the Falcons, right, if I, if, I, if I remember right. Yes. And what happened was, is over the course of that little mini bye week, um, the players went away, looked themselves in the mirror. The coaches went away, looked themselves in the mirror and said, okay, something's not working. We've got to figure this out. And they made the changes. They did what was necessary to fix things. And the players were able to come back. And, and here's the thing. Tampa Bay, for the last couple of years, has really been undergoing a culture change. And culture changes don't happen overnight. You don't just all of a sudden say, hey, we're going to become a winning team now. It takes a long time. And it's something that had started a little bit last year, um, kind of going into uh, it, with the change in, in head coaching and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I think in some ways it just took time. And the Bucks really, I, I almost hate to say, needed that one more beatdown to shake them out of it, if that makes sense. Um, because I really do think it was the fact that they the, the players went back, looked themselves in the mirror, and said something's going to change, and we've got to make this change. The coaches went in, they made the necessary adjustments, and they came out. Plus, we also had a couple guys come back off of injury, and there were some, some um, it was just, uh, it, with Jameis Winston as the player who's really leading that, plus Gerald McCoy, we got a guy like Robert Ayers who came in as a free agent last year, who uh, Robert Ayers is bringing a nastiness that we have not seen around Tampa Bay really since the days of Warren Sapp. Um, you know, Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks way back in 1996, kind of in the midst of a losing culture, uh, they had a they had a moment where they just said, "Hey, that ends now. That stops now." And you know, it took them several years, but it that was kind of the marking moment. And I think Bucks fans will turn around and look back at that mini bye week as kind of the marking moment when everything turned around. Um, and and so to me, that's the most significant thing of what changed um, between the first half of the season and the second half of the season. Yeah, and unfortunately for you, you know, and your listeners, it just happened to be Chicago was rolling into town. <laughs> uh, the, the narrative was that the it, it was very poor communication on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, if you ever watch a Bucks game, and it's it could, this could be a universal thing as far as NFL teams, but if players don't get the message or get the call, they put their hands up in there, like they hold both their hands above their head. So next year when you're watching a Bucks game, if you see defensive player holding his hands above his head, you know that you know he's he's missed an assignment or he doesn't know what it is yet. There was a lot of that going on during that first half of the season, mm. and that's mm -hmm. when they took that mini bye week and uh, basically you know kind of locked themselves in the room, the coaches and Mike Smith and Dirk Cutter figured out a way like we either have to simplify this or put it in language that everyone understands, uh, you know, change the code words, whatever we have to do. But it was definitely uh, a communication thing. And once everyone, as far as the defense went, got on the same page, uh, it really took off. And to no small, uh, I shouldn't say a small feat either, was when one of, I'm sure, one of your favorite players and ours, I think, we, I think both fan bases kind of feel about the same way about this guy, when Chris Conti Chris got Conti. hurt. Mm. Yeah, yeah. When Chris Conti mm -hmm. got hurt, we brought in Keith Tandy. And, you know, he went on a tear with interceptions. He had like like six interceptions in four games or five in yeah. four games. Uh, yeah. And so that really kind of uh, 
uh, catapulted the defense uh, forward, especially, you know, he had a, a few that ended games, which uh, was really big for the Buccaneers that second half of the season. And it also made the loss against you guys week 10 all that much more sweeter when Conti had a pick six on Cutler. Yes. So isn't that just mm-hmm. amazing that Chris Conti does that? And uh-huh. I hate, I couldn't imagine hating anyone more than I did yeah. in that moment for that guy to get that on us. Like, fantastic <laughs> that that happened. So, that's, that's the worst when you have a player that you think really underplays on your team then goes to another and then just you know snake bites you like that there's nothing worse than sports i don't oh, care what league it is it is it is mm-hmm. awful it is awful it's the, mm-hmm. it's the worst especially when, when you hate that one someone and then they have a moment like that it's like Ugh. yeah uh-huh. so that one stung but in the you know like i said the win against the bears a five-game win streak wins over playoff teams kansas city and seattle um and then the the two losses there against the cowboys and then the what happened in that Saints game? Because I really think that uh, wasn't that the one that kind of shut the door on the playoffs was losing that game to New Orleans. Correct. Go ahead, Brent. Yeah, yeah. For the most part, it really did. Um, you know, and I, it, it's hard to say what happens. Uh, you know, in a particular game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think with the the Cowboys game especially, um, and I'm I'm trying to remember all the things that that really went wrong, but. We had some injuries, uh, particularly on our offensive line in that game, that really we just couldn't seem to get a spark going, if I remember right, with that game. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, there, was, there was a bunch of other stuff happening with that Saints game. Mm-hmm. Um, Doug Martin at that time was mysteriously benched for the game or set, sat himself. I'm not really sure what, what it was. Um, for that game, there was no suspension or anything at the time that, that didn't come out until the following week, but, right. um, there was, there was just different things. And, you know, Seattle or New Orleans is a hard dome to play in. Uh, anyway, it's, it's, yeah. you know, they talk about how loud it is and, and just how hard of a place it can be to play. Um, and, and we had already beaten the saints, uh, you know, once that year. So they certainly were not looking to get swept. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to say, but um, yeah, those were those were two that that uh, they certainly stung on their own on their own right. But you know, when you look at it in the overall context of the season, we went six and two in the last half of the season, and that's nothing that's nothing to sneeze at for a half of a season record, right? And you and you finished the season on an upturn. You beat the Panthers too, instead of going five hundred, mm-hmm. finishing uh, nine right. and seven to to close out the year. So I mean, uh, right. Yeah, that New Orleans game was was weird. Uh, but if you look at it, uh, if you look at the scores when the Bucks went on the run, uh, we're going to toss out the Bears game, uh, the 36 points. But 19 points they scored, they won. 14 points, they win. 28 points, they won. 16 points, they won. And 17 points. Those are all wins for the Bucks in the second half of the season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were lucky enough to catch. There was something. It was a back and forth between Sean Payton and offensive coordinator. They were, you know, quote unquote, their offense coordinator, who's not Sean Payton, uh, about who was calling the plays. And it was kind of in transition during that two week period where the Saints didn't score. And we happened to catch him on that week. And then when the Saints, you know, uh, as you just did the Saints, you know, the, the Saints podcast the other day, if the Saints don't score 30 points, 35 points, they're probably not going to win. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, you can't keep Drew, Drew Brees down too long, especially two times in three weeks. And they came out and put up 31. And like I gave you all those wins as far as offensively, the offense struggled the second half of the year. The defense really carried us, and they just didn't mm-hmm. carry us in the Saints game. Plus the whole Doug Martin thing, it was just kind of a weird mojo vibe going on the team right then. Yeah. yeah. So he's going to be yeah. missing the first, like the four-game suspension. He missed the last game against Carolina, and he'll miss the first three of uh of 2017 so um that's correct that's right yeah we'll we'll see him we'll see him all through the preseason uh and then he'll miss those first three and we'll get him back uh you know that week four which is good news for us bear fans because we play the bucks week two so that's uh no doug martin to worry about then so um good good news but the bad news of that is running back is actually one of our deepest positions right now on the roster um and and when we make some cuts to that we're going to be cutting people who really could be could potentially be starting on other teams. Um, so it, it, it's Dirk Cutter is going to have a, he's going to have a hard choice to make when Doug Martin comes back um, to the you know to the to the team because uh, somebody's probably going to have to go uh, and it's going to be a really good player that we like. So so we 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 cap off twenty sixteen. We move into the into the off season and the free agency period. You guys make a big splash on, on day one. Uh, yeah. You bring in Deshaun Jackson. I can hear yeah. you drooling from here. Um, <laughs> you know, you add him to um, to Mike Evans and um, I can't remember his first name, but Brait the the tight yeah, end. Cameron Brait. Cameron Brait. Yeah, um, so who besides Jackson were you excited to see the Bucks sign in the offseason? Uh, for me, it's it's easy. It's Chris Baker, uh, who's uh, also from Washington, uh, just like Deshaun was, and uh, y- you know he'll be playing defensive line. Um, he's going to bring he's going to bring an attitude to the Bucks that that we've not had. But I mean, also just his play up front. Um, you know, our defensive line. Uh, one of the things we did this entire offseason, when you look at it as a whole, is we got bigger and thicker and stronger up the middle on our defense. Uh, and Chris Baker is the guy who we got stronger with. Uh, right there on the line. One of the guys we got stronger with on the line. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, he's going to really add to that. And I, I can't wait to see him. He's he's the one that I'm, I'm most excited to watch as the season comes around is Chris Baker. I'm going to have to agree with him, uh, but I'll, I'll give I'll throw somebody else in there at the end. Uh, I know a lot of people don't know who Chris Baker is. Like I certainly didn't. Even when we signed him, I had to go look at him. But uh, mm-hmm. if you put his numbers against Don Terry Poe, who uh, was a free agent going to the Falcons this year, uh, the past two years, B- Baker has uh, better totals in sacks, uh, forced fumbles, uh, tackles for loss, and fumble recoveries. So he's a very underrated – he was Washington's best defensive lineman. Um, and since you didn't let us pick Deshaun Jackson, it's got to pretty much be uh, Chris Baker. <laughs> right, I said besides Deshaun Jackson because I, I knew that would be the answer, kind of like I knew your favorite moment would be Super Bowl thirty seven. So, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, I can, I can, if if I can go on the other side, I can tell you a free agent signing that we were not super excited to have, which was for whatever reason the Bucks decided to re-sign Chris Conti again. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. which which on our show, Ren and I, we actually assigned him a seat number on the bus out of town. Oh, nice. And, he won't be back. Uh, he he, uh, he did not fill that seat. He's he's back. So, awesome. uh, who knows? Awesome. But just to finish up. Uh, the guy that I wanted to mention, well, there's two guys. Uh, Will Golston got a contract extension uh, yeah. this this off season. Uh, he's a very highly under, he's he's excellent against the run. Uh, probably 
and I don't feel uh, embarrassed to say this, he's probably a top five defensive end against the run. And they paid him nice money, but to pay him as a as a you know a top tier defensive end in the league, what the Bucks did is they decided to give him incentives. So every sack that he gets, he will he will. It's up to him to get paid as a as a defensive rushing end this uh, this coming up. Huh. So we're excited about that. And the best uh, I think free agent that's not a free agent was uh, our defensive coordinator Mike Smith, hmm. who was getting some yeah. sniffs from San Diego, uh, getting some uh, from Jacksonville. You know they were looking at him too. But uh, it was very important to the Glaziers, to Jason Light, to Dirk Cutter, to keep some continuity on the defensive side of the ball. Like Gerald McCoy, who's sort of like, you know, the uh, the uh, veteran, the old man of the defense as far as like longevity as a Buccaneer. You know, if he's played eight years for us, he's had six defensive coordinators. So wow. they really kind of wanted to get some stability there. So the Glazers just basically backed up the dump truck to his front lawn and, and dumped the cash on him. <laughs> and he's actually come out. He's come out and said he's like, I will be here the next two years. So this year, next year, we're gonna have continuity on the defensive side of the ball, and more than likely, because uh, even if if something happens terrible and you know the Bucks go like four and twelve, I still think Cutter will be back the year after that. So uh, mm-hmm. continuity is in a lot of things we've had down here uh, as far as head coaches and defensive coordinators, and like I said earlier, we really feel all the pieces are in places, and we've got the roster to start making some noise in the NFL. Well, speaking of a, of a piece that may be coming loose, um, what's the deal with signing Nick Folk a year after you're trading up in the second round to take Aguayo? Well, it's real simple. Did you see what Aguayo did last year? I did. Or more but, importantly, what he didn't do? Right. Yeah, no, I've, I've seen his numbers, and I saw the guy kick on occasion. So, I mean, I can I – can, but you guys hitting the panic button on that already, though. No, no, I wouldn't say it's a panic button. Um, you know, there, there's the philosophy, and in fact, it's actually working when we watch what's happened just through OTA, is competition breeds excellence. It makes everyone better when you bring in legitimate competition. So, you know, what, what happened was is they gave Nick Folk a, a contract where basically uh, between Roberto Aguayo and Nick Folk, we're paying one of the two of those guys about three-quarter of a million dollars a year to sit, on, to sit at home on the couch. Uh, regardless of whether or not they're playing. So one guy's going to be kicking, one guy's going to be sitting at home. They're both getting paid about the same thing. Uh, and Ren's more of a contract guy. He can quote, he can uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that. But, no, you're right. Um, yeah, th- three-quarter yeah. of a mil. But they, they were willing to pay that price to bring in uh, real competition and see if it doesn't spark something. And I'll, I'll say this, and, and uh, you know, um, if, if Nick Folk legitimately comes in and beats Roberto Aguayo uh, for the – for the kicking job, then more power to it. Uh, I'm, you know, Nick Folks will be our kicker, and I'm for it. Uh, I personally am hoping that that whatever kicks in uh, with Roberto Aguayo here in the second year, because is one of the things we talked about a lot last year. You look historically, whenever you have a kicker that gets drafted high in the draft, uh, Janiskowski is one. Um, I guess there's a couple others. Their names are all hard to pronounce, and they slip my mind at the moment. But <laughs> they their first season is crap. It's horrible, and there's something that happens that clicks into place usually in the second season, and they go on to become a 10-, 15-year solid veteran, one of the best kickers in the league, and I think that's what we're really hoping happens with Aguayo. That's what I'd personally like to see happen is uh, what, that whatever kicks into, into gear with him this year, and he goes on to, to have a big, long, illustrious career, uh, hopefully in Tampa Bay. But you know, if he comes in and he's getting beat by Nick Folk, then – He's going to get beat by Nick Folk, but, uh, you know, 
there were when you look back at so many of our games in the first half of the season where we went three for five or two for five or yeah it was two for five or no three for five yeah um so many of them were were lost or could have been turned on a kick um and and uh you know it just you've you've got to be able to when you're when you're dirt cutter you've got to be able to say okay do we send out the the field goal unit and make this sure three or do we go for a real risky you know 45 yard run on this on this last little bit and uh you've just got to know we watched dirt cutter have to make that choice a few times last year and it wasn't good so um yeah that's what it is yeah there were plenty of times last year as the year went on that like brent was just talking about where you just knew that if you had trust in your kicker, the field goal unit would be going on, you know, 47 yard, 48 mm-hmm. yard, right. but the bucks are, are going to go for it on like fourth and two or fourth and three. Uh, so you can't technically say that Roberto lost us games because he never missed a kick in a game that ended up being the losing margin. But with, with that going on, he sort of did, but it all comes back to Jason light, our, our general manager who we're big fans of, uh, you know, on the podcast, the Peter cast, is yeah. that he is he he's not afraid he his saying is fisher cut bait like if he makes mm-hmm. a mistake he'll own up to it and he'll fix it and that's what he's doing if mcguire wins out great but you know he didn't have the season especially from where he they expected especially for where he was drafted and he's gonna fix the problem and he went out and got nick folk you know they're both guaranteed three quarters of a million dollars and uh you know may the best man win and his ego is out of it and that's yeah. that's one of the big that's one of the big reasons we like him. So the the Fisher cut bait thing is that what happened with with Lovey Smith because then Lovey only got two years to try yeah. to write the ship in in Tampa and and the thing that I found odd about it was that you know obviously Lovey is a defensive guy but in the I think last year I was reading that like out of twelve or thirteen draft choices there was one defensive player taken for a head coach who had a defensive. Um, you know, uh, expertise, and it was the defense mm-hmm. that ended up being his undoing in his two years in Tampa. Uh, yeah, from the outside looking in, and I, I would agree with what you're saying. Uh, there was two things that was that kind of sunk Lovey Smith. One was uh, he was. Uh, it's widely regarded here. No one's really gone on record, but it's widely regarded that he was sort of in charge of the free agency. If you look at the free agency those first two years, then you're absolutely right. The only defensive player they drafted was Quan Alexander. Uh, but all the free, most of the free agents were defensive players. That's where we brought in a lot of ex-Chicago's guys, uh, Major Wright, Chris Conti. And a and lot of them Milton, didn't yeah. – yes, they didn't – no one worked out. Mm-hmm. Like none of them worked out. And the Glazers – and this is what the narrative is. The Glazers went to Coach Lovey Smith and said, you need to change the way you look at your defense. Uh, plus his coaching staff on the defensive side was terrible. Uh, anybody that covers the Buccaneers uh, will let you know that you get, you know, you sit down at a bar and, and buy him a drink. Uh, they're gonna, it's gonna come out that his defensive side of the ball, his staff was awful. Uh, mm-hmm. There was, we gave up seventy percent completion rate for the season. Wow. As yeah, as a defensive, uh, yeah. So that was another big thing that everyone was was yelling him about. He wasn't a very straight forth with guy with the media down oh, here. I don't no, know how he was up in Chicago. No, he was, you know, the funny thing was when when we hired John Fox, the joke for me was I thought Lovey was vague with the media. Then we get John Fox in there <laughs> and it's just like what the hell is he talking about? Is, you know, he couldn't be more vague at times that, you know, and I thought Lovey was bad. 
John Fox is even worse, but you're right. He is incredibly um, guarded when it comes to the media and sharing anything with them, especially when it comes to uh, any kind of injuries. Yes, and, you know, he wasn't really popular with the media guys. Like, when they brought up that stat to him, like, you know, you're giving up 70% completion rate, his answer to the media was, well, you can make stats say anything you want to. Now, that's fine <laughs> if you're talking to a bunch of fourth graders, you know, but these guys cover the NFL for a living. It's like, don't piss on my head and tell me it's raining, lovey. Like, right. I'm not a child. So fast forward to the end of his second year, and basically the Glaziers were like, you need to make a change. And lovey said no. And so they went, okay, we're going to make a change for you. Plus, uh, Dirk Cutter who they wanted to keep because of the first season of Jameis' success as far as being able to move the offense, scoring points, um, uh, yardage through the air. You know, he got over 4,000 yards as a rookie, um, Pepsi Rookie of the Year. They w- really wanted to keep those two together. They're really on this continuity theme. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, Dirk Cutter was getting some – some uh you know some run in in the papers and espn about you know being the new hot next coach and was starting to get some interviews and with the lack of flexibility from lovey and his terrible coaching staff that he put together 70 percent completion rate it all just kind of came to a perfect storm and it was just like we're sorry we wanted to give you more time but you're you're tying our hands you gotta go okay yeah i mean at the end of the day lovey was more committed to his scheme than he was to his players. Yes. And and he was he was going to play his scheme, whether his players fit that or not. And if they didn't fit it, then he was going to get rid of them and find people who he thought might fit his scheme, uh, rather than adjusting his scheme. He got to rid the of Darrell Revis. Yeah, he did. Um, which was which was crazy. And you know, if you watch the press conferences and stuff, Jason Light, general manager, who by the way was hired by Lovey because they. They got rid of uh, Greg Schiano and Mark Dominic at the same time last year. They actually went ahead and hired Lovey, who had been on the Bucks staff back in in the the you know late '90s, kind of through the big resort, or, you know the big power time of Tampa Bay history. Mm-hmm. So they were trying to bring that back. And uh, Lovey went out, and he was the one who who wound up hiring Jason Light to come in and be the be the GM. And truthfully, they had developed a really close relationship, like. Jason and, and Lovey were friends. And but you know, to listen to Jason talk about it, and he doesn't give too many details of it, but you know, he talks about how, listen, he had a meeting with ownership with the Glazers at the end of the year to give his honest assessment. It's his job as the general manager to give his assessment of where they are as a team, of where they're going. Is the head coach doing his job? Is this going to be the head coach that we can win with? And obviously his assessment was not Lovey. Like they might have had a plan even in his assessment and what he saw from Lovey Smith and how he was coaching the team. This was not going to lead anywhere good, at least not in the long term. And, uh, you know, as, as Ren talked about, Jason's a very much a, a, you know, fish or cut bait kind of a guy. So it was time to cut bait and to, to move on. Um, and thankfully, we had Dirk Cutter, you know, right there as a, as a guy who could step in um, and be that long term guy, uh, you know, and, and, the, of course, the big thing about that with Lovey was to fire him after just two years. We fired Greg Schiano just after two years. We fired Gert, Raheem Morris just after three. That's a revolving door. You've got to stop the revolving door if you expect to have any kind of long-term success. Right. Um, so that's why I think, you know, Dirk Cutter is going to get a long leash uh, with this team. I really do. 
So um, speaking of Jason Light, your GM, um, his expertise was put on display on draft day uh, this year. Yeah. Um, with the Zen-like Ozzie Newsome-type patience uh, <laughs> sitting at number 19. And who yeah. falls into his lap but uh, a guy that wasn't supposed to make it out of the top 10 in O.J. Howard, the tight end from Alabama. Yeah. Now, before we talk about him, who, you know, before the draft, when there were mock drafts and so on and so forth, number one, when, you know, when, when you guys, you know, basically it was inconceivable that he would be there at 19. So the Bucks and Tampa uh-huh. Bay, you know, with, with Howard, that's not going to happen. Who did you want? And, and who were the experts saying that you were going to get at 19? Kind of like a running joke, especially during the offseason on our podcast, was uh, Brent hates mock drafts. I hate he, he hates it. Like he doesn't think he's like he's like none of it's gonna happen. None of it's gonna come true. Like if you get like six and you're getting paid by ESPN, all of a sudden you know you probably beat everybody else. If you, so he mm-hmm. he doesn't really follow him. Doesn't like him. But it's a funny story because the very first mock draft I ever saw come out for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers it had OJ Howard at 19, and everybody mm-hmm. in Tampa just laughed like ah, ha, 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 we have Cameron Brait. Cameron Bray, you know, just tied for the league of touchdown reception from the tight end position. Why do we need another tight end? And then you start to think about it, how uh, Dirk Cutter, they've been, Jason Light has been trying to run a two tight end set. Uh, he got his second pick ever as a Buccaneers GN was ASJ, Austin Sparius Jenkins. Right. Ended up being a knucklehead. He's out there with the Jets. But then we had Bray. So the, the plan for this year was to have Austin Ferris Jenkins and Cameron Braid on the field at the same time, do like a double tight end, a la, you know, obviously players aren't as good, but a la Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez type of New England Patriots, Gronkowski, uh, Bennett, like they, they tried to do last year before Gronk got hurt. Sure. Mm-hmm. That, that type of offense. So when you start to think about it, you're like, wow, O.J. Howard, you know, that is a pretty good idea because when Cameron Braid got hurt in the second half of the Saints game, the Buccaneers had one reception from the tight end position after he went out. That includes the rest of the Saints game and the Carolina game for three yards. Wow. And everyone kind of realized, like, wait, there's nobody behind him that, you know, has the athleticism to get any separation, uh, to right. get open, to get deep down the seam. So uh, to answer your question, that was the first one. We all kind of laughed it off. And then, you know, you, you give it some time and mold in your head. You're like, that would be great. And then obviously – about a month into the draft process or the pre-draft process, I should say, you realize he's not going to be there. Right. Um, a lot of people were still thinking tight end. Uh, D- David Njoku, okay. uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people liked. Obviously, mm-hmm. Dalvin Cook, uh, yep. you know, the J- Jameis-Florida State combination sure. was there. Um, I was big on a cornerback because I believe that teams need three starting top-tier cornerbacks now since, you know, offensive runs 65% of their times with three wide receiver sets. Right. Um, we saw some experts talk about offensive tackle, and everyone laughed at it. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's something that the people sort of like the fans in the know. There are a lot of fans down here that do not are not are not ecstatic, I guess, for, with our offensive line. But if you listen to what's coming out of one buck in your place uh, – they're happy with what they've had, and they've been saying it since the end of last year. Uh, uh, what we needed was running back, safety, and wide receiver badly. So, mm-hmm. like, Ross was going to be gone. Uh, Corey Davis was going to be gone. Uh, so that first number 19 pick was really best player available. Mm-hmm. It, you know, mm-hmm. if there's a tight end there, if there's a safety there, a wide receiver there, or a running back there, 
if whoever drops out of that four positions, whoever it may be, that's who the Bucks were going to end up taking. And, you know, powers to be, thank you, Lord, somehow <laughs> O.J. Howard just fell in our lap. So you're watching yeah. this. You're, I'm sorry. You're watching this thing unfold on draft day. You know, oh, yeah. Were you just we getting were doing ex- a live podcast. Were you, were you getting yeah. excited with every pick that came? Like, geez, this might actually happen. We might actually get O.J. Howard. Or or was it? did it dawn on you when you're on the clock? Like, dude, O.J. Howard is still there. I think I, I think it popped up for us roundabout pick like 15 or 16. Um, we kind of looked up and we went like that's when we started talking about it, Ren. If I'm remembering that correctly, yeah, is when it on. was like, yeah, it was about 14, 15, 16. We're like, oh wait, OJ Howard's still here. Wait, how is that happening? Okay, well let's see who's coming in next. Oh, they picked somebody else. Oh, it's he's still available. What's going on next? Oh my gosh, he's still available. Uh, and to the point where it got to like pick uh, 18. Um, where we were like, there's no way they're taking a tight end here. They're taking something else, um, you know, and you could just kind of see it. You could see it happening and see it crystallizing. And uh, there's a really cool video. Um, I think it's on Buccaneers.com of the draft room as they were picking O.J. Howard. Go check you it out, see. Bears fans. You'll love yeah, it. Yeah, go Bears fans. <laughs> but uh, there's, there's Coach Cutter and Jason Light, like, peeing their pants, overly excited watching this come in. And – you know, it's it's apparently they had the card already running to the podium as the as the you know as they went on the clock because they were uh, like they they turned that card in super quick, I super bet. super quick. I bet. So you get uh, you get OJ Howard at nineteen, and uh, yeah, Bears fans, if you want to see what it looks like for a team to be happy with their draft choice, <laughs> just, you know, or or if you guys uh, you know if you had like one of those fan gatherings like the Bears had where half of them were throwing their phones at the ground and cursing the skies like what Trubisky really a quarterback yeah it was it was not it was not good I think I think, I, well, I think but John, it was also is, the trade too oh, like, don't get me started is, on the trade is it John Lynch a buccaneer a ring of honor buccaneer guy I yeah so. yeah so he yeah he fleeced us good that was awesome but um uh anyway I, I say that to, to piss off the bear fans because the, the 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 deal was on the table before the draft even started was that the Bears were offering two third round picks to move up to two if Trubisky didn't come off the board. But they 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 told um Lynch if our guy is available, not saying who it was. So right, right. they they assumed all along it was Solomon Thomas. They thought it was Solomon Thomas and yeah. then it wasn't until uh later on, like on draft day where the whoever the the, the forty nine representative was and he was like, well, are they coming up for Thomas? He's like, call me crazy, but I think they're after Trubisky because my favorite line, this is all in that Peter King column. Yeah, it was a great article. Yeah, it, it really was. And it's like my favorite line of the whole thing was, then why'd they go get Glennon? Like, exactly. Why did we go get Glennon if we were going to do this? But, you know, it's like I just – I was one of the mer- very unhappy people when, when I heard about that. And then I – Mitch Trubisky. He's like, you got to be kidding me. I can't believe this. So – Anyway, back to the Buccaneers. Um, yeah. In the second round, another name that I th- that I was praying or hoping, wishing would would fall under the uh, the blue and orange of my beloved Chicago Bears was your second round pick, Justin Evans, uh, the yeah. safety from uh, Texas A and M. Um, then you got Chris Goodwin, a wide receiver. So basically, the wish list you were talking about: tight end, safety, wide receiver, first, second, third mm-hmm. round. Boom, boom, boom. There they are. And then you pick up running back uh, a little bit later. Um... We had a linebacker in there somewhere, so yeah, yeah, it was it was an it was a really it was an excellent draft overall. Um, 
Uh, Ren, I think we gave we gave him an A on our draft. Uh, it, this you know. draft class was so deep. Like when SI mm-hmm. or ESPN or whoever came out with all their draft grades, like a, like half the teams got A's. Uh, this mm-hmm. this draft was so deep. Everyone really helped themselves uh, this year. Uh, the Justin Evans pick, I think, was the only pick the Bucks kind of got cornered into because they wanted a safety. They knew they needed a safety. Uh, before free agency, the Bucks only had two safeties on their whole entire roster, and one was mm-hmm. uh, one was like a uh, a try not a what do they call it? a futures contract. It was a futures guy. contract, right. yeah, yeah. So we knew we were getting safety. We brought in JJ Wilcox and we brought in Chris Conti, but it's still like okay, we still need a safety. But uh, there was a run on them. A couple went in the first round, and a couple went in the top of the second round. And now you're, you know, you haven't got your second pick, and you're kind of looking at you're already down to the fifth, sixth, you know, possibly uh, best safety. Obviously, you know, the Bucks are going to tell you that Justin Evans was was uh, slated up there higher. But uh, so besides that, I think that's the only one they kind of got cornered into, as in where they really needed had to go after position, uh, not so much like best player, uh, where the best player in need sort of meet. Um, so, and then Chris, uh, Godwin has been everything come out of training camp, uh, has, has seemed to be a steal, uh, so far. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you want to go down the line, the, uh, Beckwith pick was very interesting to a lot of people. We don't understand yeah. trading up for a guy coming off an ACL surgery that's slated to play Sam linebacker. That's only going to be on the field 35%. But uh, we're real happy with uh, Jerry McNichols out of Boise State. Mm-hmm. Uh, they call him the McWeapon. Um, you know, <laughs> pass protection is uh, sort of his forte. Uh, I call him, by the way, you know, he went to Boise State. Doug Martin went to Boise State. You know, I kind of just call him, I think he's Doug Martin with better hands. Yeah, uh, there you go. You know, and then we got uh, uh, Stevie Tuikolovatu, uh, big Stevie out of USC. Uh, the Bucks made an, uh, a real effort. With the Beckwith pick, uh, getting Chris Baker, um, they re-signed Silver Seliga, uh, mm-hmm. a, a 320, 340-pound uh, tackle during the offseason, that free agency period, and they went out and got another big 340-pound uh, defensive tackle because you could, you know, if you if you had the patience enough to run the ball right at the Buccaneers and trusted that you were going to get eventually get those five, six-yard plays, you could do it. Uh, just mm. offensive coordinators were not really patient enough. We were really soft, really, I shouldn't say soft, we're really light up the middle. Um, yeah. Gerald McCoy is great at disrupting, but he's in the backfield and the bar carrier is like, you know, already by him type right. of deal. Uh, so, and then you just kind of left Clinton McDonald in there who has bulked up. You can tell it's an organizational thing they're trying to do down the middle. Clinton McDonald, you know, was playing around 280, 285. And now you've got, you know, a guard and a center on Clinton McDonald. And you're handing the ball up the middle, and it was like five, six yards, just boom, boom, every time they did it all year long. So that's kind of what they're thinking with with uh, the big inside interior guys this year. So with um, with the picks that you got, you got f- the first four picks were in the first three rounds. Uh, you got McNichols in the fifth round, and then uh, tongue twister there in the seventh round. Um, <laughs> call him, just call him Stevie T. There you go, Stevie, Stevie T, T from USC. How's that sound? That sounds good. Nice. Yeah. Um, the um, how many contributors are you looking at this year? How many guys are going to see the field in 2017? Uh, out of those six, yeah. Um, I I think is it. I think all six really could see the field this year. 
I really do. Yeah, I, I think all six could do it. Um, there's a potential for uh, Beckwith to get kind of a little bit of like a, like a red here. Um, it, it, McNichols is going to see the field just with a running back situation. I think Stevie T. Uh, Stevie T may be a little bit on a bubble, uh, it, you know, if there's a roster cut. Um, you know, as Ren just said, we also have, uh, you know, we had Chris Baker. We had Sil- Silver Siglia. And, um, you know, a couple guys. So, uh, but I don't know that we, that they really like him. They're really high on him. So I don't know that we're going to get rid of him. There's Justin Evans who, I don't know that Justin Evans is going to come out uh, at the beginning of the year, but I think by the end of the year, he'll probably be a starter. Um, if I'm guessing, uh, you know, cause they certainly drafted him as high as they did uh, to not just be a backup. You know, uh, they're, they're expecting some things coming out of him. Uh, but I think he's been on a, on an injury thing here lately through OTA, so they're expecting him in, in training camp. So, uh, but it's it's highly highly possible that you could see all six uh, definitely making the roster and and very probably contributing to to the season this year. Yeah, this might be you know looking through my pewter clever you know colored glasses over here, but uh, I I agree with them. Uh, Beckwith might get the I uh, going the IR uh, due to injury issues if he's not picking up the defense fast enough. That Sam linebacker position is wide open for him mm-hmm. if if mm-hmm. if he wants it. If he can put it together in training camp, it's his. He he can take it. There's nobody there that that's that's you know head and shoulders are better than him or experience wise or anything like that. Uh, obviously, OJ Howard, we're not going to talk about. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. exactly on what Brent said about Justin Evans. You know, he's going to play. It just matters how fast, once again, he picks up the defense. And I think by the end of the year, he'll be back there starting, hopefully, with, with Keith, Keith Tandy. Uh, that's what I would like to see. Mm-hmm. And then uh, McNichols, we haven't seen him even in OTAs. You can't really judge running backs in OTAs. There's no touching, you know, shorts and shells. Right. But uh, if he comes as advertised – and with Doug Martin missing the first three games, he's going to be on the team the first three weeks at minimum. Right. Uh, right. And then we got a guy, second-year guy out of Auburn, who has problems picking up pass protection. Uh, then we got Charles Sims, who proved to us last year that he's just a third-down back. He can't run the ball between the tackles. Get him out in space. He's a very good player, but you can't hand him, hand him the ball on the interior line. He just won't commit to a hole. And then we got Joachim Rogers, who played a lot with – Dirk Cutter in Atlanta, and you guys, you know him. You guys kind oh, yeah. of, yeah. Well, yeah. We, I mean, that was an unfortunate thing with Jacquez because he that first year in 2015 that we had him fourth game of the season, he breaks his arm, he's done for the year, and then then last year he was just he was a one of the last cuts that we made uh, at the year. I mean, I mean, we were we're actually kind of deep at running back ourselves, so it was just it was a numbers game uh, for him. I honestly, I was pissed off when we cut him. Because we needed help on special teams, and at the very least, that's why the Bears signed him in the first place. But uh, they ended up uh, keeping uh, some of the draft picks instead of him. So I wasn't happy about the Jacquez Rogers uh, cut myself. And then, you know, when he was forced into duty last year, like the first three or four games, that he's he's like one of the top running backs in the league for like a three or four mm-hmm. week span with the amount of yards that he was putting up. So it's like, yeah, guys, great move. That was fantastic. So, um, so moving on to on to the schedule. Um, am I reading this right? The Thursday night game is the only national TV game you guys got. You're not on Monday night at all this year. No, we, no, have, we have Monday, Monday night. night. Maybe yeah. I just uh, didn't uh, put that down. That's all right. Yeah, uh, Monday night against Atlanta. I think it is. Is if it I remember Atlanta? right? Okay. I yeah. Believe, yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. 
All December right. 18th. Yeah. Oh, so late, late in the season. Well, you guys. Very late. Okay, no, that's uh, yeah. That was somebody yeah. Else but we also thinking. we also have a lot of games that can be flexed. Um, if you if you go back and look at them, there'll be a lot that are flexed. I think this year uh, sure. that'll at least wind up uh, it's a, okay, little, Brett. a little a little okay. bit more it's in okay. the national thing. It's okay, Brent. We, it's all right. It's all right. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get more next year. Don't worry about it. So you know, you start off the year. You're at Miami, which is you know you're in Florida, so no big deal. There, you're at Chicago, week number. Oh, actually, you're home. Mm-hmm. For Chicago, home for Chicago, week two, uh, at Minnesota, yeah. and then back to back home games, New York, and then the Thursday nighter against the Patriots. Um, yep. Before heading off on the road to Arizona, and then Buffalo, and then Carolina caps off the first half uh, of the season. So one of the things that I like to look at when I when I look at the schedules is how the if if the if you got home games bunched together, if you got road games. Uh, bunch together the first three out of five are at home then you got three out of four on the road before the buy and you got a week 11 by this year where it was like what week five yeah. or six last year yeah. so which side of the fence mm-hmm. are you on you got you guys like the early buy you guys like the later buy just as a rule i mean i know that you know something like one year when the bears had a week six by it couldn't have come at a worse time the bears are playing well and now we have to take a break whereas last year the bye couldn't have come at a better time. We really needed a break and and everything. But as a rule, what do you guys like? You like the earlier bye or the later one? You know, personally, I don't mind whether it's the earlier one or the later one, uh, as long as it's it's met uh, or or uh, complemented with kind of that mini buy. Like you get a Thursday night game, and then you get you get a little bit of extra time sure. spaced out. So you know, here in week five, we have a Thursday night game. Uh, and then we kind of have a little bit of that mini buy that we talk about um, between weeks five and six. And then you get all the way to week 11 and we actually got a full buy with the, um, uh, y- you know, with with that week. So, you know, it, I feel like that's a good spacing out. We kind of had the same thing only reversed last year. Our buy was a little bit early last year, um, but then we had uh, our Thursday night game a little bit later, which gave us. Um, well, that was actually going into the midpoint of the season uh, where we needed it. You know, we and we just needed that kind of time. So um, as long as we have that, I'm I'm OK with whether or not the bye week is actually early or later in the year. But uh, ideally, you want to tend to see it, I guess, around the middle uh, to maybe just a little bit over the midpoint of the year. Um, just, you know, if if you could pick, you know, I think that's probably where you'd want to pick it. I, I really I'm kind of with Brett. I really don't mind where it is. It came in like you were saying earlier, you know. Two years ago, it came at a bad time. Last year, it came at a good time. This year, it was very early, but our defensive line was decimated, so it came as a great time. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of falling into the category now where it seems that the NFL is putting your division games, a big clump of your division games, near the end of your schedule. Right. Uh, prevents tanking type, you know, type of situations uh, where sort of everyone's in it at the end because you know each game really counts as two because it's against you know. It's a division game. So I would like now, as a rule, I would like it later in the year, right before your big clump of, of division games, so you can sort of like, you know, you know, circle the wagons, you know, uh, refocus and just re- uh, get everyone on the same page heading into these very important last few games, five, six weeks of the year. Well, with your, your bye week is week 11, you have six games after the bye to close out the year, and you have four division games – and the other two are against NFC 
opponents. So that whole, exactly. you know, conference winnings, you know, record, which, you know, is always ends up being a tiebreaker for someone, whether they get in or they don't. And yeah, you got, it was us last year. Yeah, and you got four division games in the last six, including the last three. Uh, versus Atlanta at Carolina, home for the Saints to close out the year. Those are the last three games of the schedule. So you're running the NFC South gauntlet to close out the uh, close out the year. So yeah, you're right. All of those games are important. All six of those games are important. Your first game against Atlanta at Green Bay, home for Detroit. Then you're home for Atlanta at Atlanta or at Carolina, home for the Saints to close out the year. You know, all those being NFC games, and then four of them being NFC South games. You're not going to have a chance to take a week off. So that week, that bye week really comes at a good time as far as looking at the schedule on paper. Agreed. Yeah, it does. I'm, I'm very pleased with where our bye week is this year. So looking at the, um, so looking at the schedule, any games that when, when they came out, you were like, oh, looking forward to that one. Is it the Thursday nighter against New England to see where you guys measure up that early on in the season? Is it that three-game cluster at the bottom running the gauntlet against the NFC South? What on the schedule stood out for you guys? Yeah, you know, to me, it's it's going to be the Patriots game is is a big one. Um, you know, they always talk about there's that old adage to be the man, you got to beat the man. Right. And um, you know, let's face it, the Patriots, as much as I'm sure we all hate them, uh, it's probably one of the things that Bears fans and Bucks fans have in common. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, to see them go down will will be a great and glorious thing. The fortunate thing about that is it's a home game for us. And Bill Belichick has never won in Tampa during a regular season game. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, let's fun keep fact. that streak alive. Yeah, fun fun fact. So let's never, keep that He's never alive. won in Raven James Stadium. He's won in the – I don't know. Yeah, the actual fact – sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Brent. But he's no, never right. won a regular season game in Raymond James Stadium. You know, we're looking to see keep that alive. And, I, you know, if we go to beat – if we beat the Patriots, um, you know, I think that'll be a, that'll be a huge um, – boost to the team and the confidence of a team that is on the rise that is that is on the upswing so uh that to me is probably the one i'm looking forward to the most this year uh there's a few for me uh the cardinals games the first one obviously the patriots game uh you know you always like to use the patriots as a measuring stick i think every team in the nfl does uh but the cardinals game because you know we started off with a win on the road against a division rival in atlanta and everyone's kind of riding high and we went to Arizona, and they just beat the dog piss out of us. Yeah. And uh, and I'm kind of pissed at them for doing that. So <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I want we want some revenge. Uh, we have uh, there's just buckaholics. They're a fan base that are sort of around. They started out west, but they're sort of around. And they all plan to invade a stadium. Last year it was at it was at Qualcomm, the, the Chargers game. Like they took over behind the Bucks bench. The lower bowl was all red. And nice. uh, since they're going to Arizona this year, yeah, you could hear them through the TV. It was really impressive. It made you feel real good to be a fan. Uh, but since Arizona's red, they're all going to do old school uh, orange, the uh, Florida <laughs> orange, Bucko Bruce orange. So be looking for that if, if you care, Bears fans. I know you don't. Um, besides <laughs> that, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to going. And I'm, I'm really, I don't think I'm going to, but I'm going to try. I'm going to look into it at least. Is uh, it's been a while, you know, you know, we used to play you twice a year. Yes. And we play Detroit twice a year. We get to go up to Lambeau late, snow on the ground, Lambeau Field. Uh, and as an old-time Bucks fan and even just an NFL fan, anytime you get to go play in Lambeau, to see your team play in Lambeau, I think it's something special. So that's the game that, that's really kind of sticking out for me. 
So then finally, the last thing I wanted to talk to you guys about, I saw your, your announcement you'll be doing a special podcast for it, is that the Bucks were selected to be this year's Hard Knocks team. So yeah. the fact that you're doing a podcast about it would lead me to believe that you're at the very least excited about the Bucks being the team uh, on on Hard Knocks. So, um, you know what, uh, you know it's what can we look forward to with that? Do you guys know anything about the about the team or the dynamic or, or who do you think they should focus on? Like who on the team is a character that maybe that uh, kind of like how last year with the Rams it was uh, Eric Cush who now plays for the Bears because he was tank top guy is there anybody yeah Mm -hmm. is there anybody on the team that uh, might become famous this summer well i I don't know if there's anybody who's going to be famous like that this year Uh um but certainly one of the things we talked about was with Jameis. uh you know Jameis got a lot of bad press when he was coming into the league and as a guy who's out of market especially i can tell you you know i wear my buccaneer shirts and stuff and people stop me and go oh they're they're looking pretty good but i don't know about that quarterback um, that people just don't seem to know or see in Jameis what we uh, what we do, what we know about Jameis. Uh, Jameis is a pretty magnetic personality. Uh, he, uh, certainly very distinct leadership style that he has. It's very out front and very outspoken. And um, it, it's, it's kind of a, a, you know, people get into it and they drink the Kool-Aid. And, and hands down, everybody who comes through Tampa, they talk about how genuine it is and, and how – how great it is. And, and for whatever reason, people outside of that, either they, it just seems fake to them or they just don't buy into it or they don't see it. So, um, you know, I think that's a big thing that I think people will see on hard knocks. Um, and Jameis is going to get a lot of time on hard knocks. I think just because of his personality, personality and how far he stands out in front of the team. Um, so, uh, you know, to me, I think that's going to be a that's going to be a big thing. Um, I'm I'm less eager to see much about the kicking thing that we already talked about a little right. bit earlier. Uh, I think it'll be a thing, but I just hope it's kind of a B or a C storyline through Hard Knocks. Um, I, you know, I certainly hope it's not one of the key things that they focus in on. Um, but uh, you know, certainly adding Deshaun Jackson though, uh, with that kind of a personality. Um, you know, that should be a, that, that should be a big thing too. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, and I'll be honest, I'm a, I'm a hard knocks virgin. I've never watched hard knocks before. Really? Um, and I understand it's in like it's 13th year or something. So I don't know where the hell I've been. Um, except for when it's <laughs> not, honestly, if it's not bucks, I tend to just not care. Sure. So that's probably it. Um, so the fact that they're coming on, like I'm excited. Uh, the other hand is I also, you hear about the hard knocks curse or you hear about all this other stuff, or is it going to be a distraction for the team? And, Honestly, I think the team can handle it. I think they'll be fine. Um, you know, as a as a fanboy of the team, I want everything that I can get from the Bucks. But you know, if it's gonna if it's gonna detract from them, uh, you know, at the same time, I could I, I, the cooler head could prevail and say, yeah, maybe not. But I'm excited just to have it because I want to see more Bucks. Right. Yeah. Uh, some story lines that I think uh, you know maybe non-Buccaneer fans are uh, some people are going to learn about uh, the first one pops to my head obviously Jameis but right after that's Quan Alexander uh, yeah. the linebacker at LSU yeah. uh, Buck fans are kind of upset that he didn't make the top 100 they're very upset that he wasn't chosen for the Pro Bowl when the alternate position sort of came up and the, and the Cowboys took sh- uh, Sean Lee um, you know they had the same amount of tackles total tackles uh Quan led the league and and uh solo tackles uh plus 
Uh, he had sacks, interceptions, a return for a touchdown, forced fumbles and for, uh, fumble recovery, and pass breakups, and Sean Lee had none of those. Didn't have a sat in any of it. So, hmm. And also, Quan's kind of sour about it. Uh, follow on Instagram, Bears fans, if you want to. This guy is getting after it. He's a line, middle linebacker. He catches 300 balls out of the jug machine a day to work on his hands. He's really concentrating on his pass protection or pass coverage this year. Uh, you know, before the draft, he'd sent out, you know, he's like, it's 2 a.m. and he's in a full sweat, you know, like round five USC, USC sweat. And he's at the gym, you know, and he's just, uh, you know, Instagram and showing people that he's working at it. Uh, he had a jug machine uh, delivered to his house today. I saw on Instagram. So now he's going to do it at home. <laughs> I mean, this right. guy is ready to go and he's extremely fiery. Um, and on the fun side, you know, uh, Gerald McCoy, I'm sure all, you know, football fans know that, uh, will know him, but he's a big comic book guy. Uh, Batman's his favorite character hmm. and Robert Ayers, who plays next to him is also a big comic book guy, but will swear up and down that Batman's not a real superhero. So I think that <laughs> I think that their dynamic is sort of like a fun story might okay. come out between those two guys. Uh, but, uh, I've actually had a Twitter conversation lasting a day and a half with Robert Ayers about how Batman's a superhero and we go back and forth and he's real he's a really cool guy. He's Brent's boyfriend. He's Brent's favorite player. He's his <laughs> man crush. You man crush? <laughs> I I love you know, and I, I love me some Robert Ayers, but you know uh, you again you talk about a sto- a storyline. Robert Ayers is a guy who talks about how he's just constantly pissed off. He is always pissed off and, and he's bringing uh I, I think that will be something we'll see. Because, uh, uh, you know, when, when somebody doesn't do something they need to, Robert Ayers will speak up and he'll get into him. So uh, he's that kind of a personality that makes for great TV. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Hard Knocks crew, you know, focused in on him a little bit as well. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to this, um, you know, because I, I, I love uh, Hard Knocks. I've always found it to be uh, extremely interesting where you guys are going to looking at it for – for more bucks for me it's you know more football i just want to watch uh more football and those documentaries that hbo does and especially as a broadcasting student you know back in the day how quickly they can turn all that footage into an hour uh show each week and uh you know do it as well as they do i've always found to be uh extremely uh impressive and um you know would like to see the bears do it themselves one of these days i think it'd be really awesome uh to see the bears do it but um you know, so it's the Bucks' turn this time around, and uh, you know, one other show that I think is really, really great, and is only starting the second season uh, tomorrow, is the All or Nothing series on Amazon Prime. Did Can you, you guys... believe that the Raiders are going to be all access two years in a row? The Rams. What is this torture? That's yeah. what I said. I said the Raiders. You said Sorry, Raiders, yeah. I, I ruined my own joke. Go ahead. Yes, no, but I agree with yeah. you, one hundred percent. It's like I was excited. That oh great it got a second season with the L.A. Rams okay great yeah it's so, like come on man you know I mean they knocked yeah, it out like... of the park season one the Arizona Cardinals went all the way to the NFC Championship game that's basically what they would you know so why the hell did they picked the Rams for the sec there's no way they were even coming close to that uh, last season and uh, you know right but uh, you know looking for the tragedy side I guess I guess you know it can't be that big a deal that they moved to back to to LA but uh, there's a show that I would like to see you know I think a team like Tampa Bay this would be a good year for them to be on that show probably more so than Hard Knocks so I would agree that's a good point 
But um, I don't think I'd be happy as a Tampa Bay fan for that, though. I, w- I, I think that would be too much a distraction for me mm-hmm. personally. I, I, I'm okay with hard knocks, but all year, ooh. yeah, yeah, that'd be tough. Yeah. That'd be tough for sure. So, um, but guys, thanks so much uh, for coming on the uh, show and giving us a healthy dose of the Buccaneers and what we can look forward to. Uh, week number two, September seventeenth, the Bears and the Bucks will meet again in Raymond James uh, Stadium. So I'd uh, uh, love to have you guys back on for the preview episode that week leading up to the game to uh, you know see how the hard knocks thing went for you guys and whether or not you pulled out that first win against the Dolphins week one and uh, see what we have to look forward to in that second game. Yeah, let's do it. I'm all I'm all in. But again, guys, you know, had a great time talking to you. Looking forward to having you. Uh, having you back on and uh for anyone who wants to check out the uh the pewter cast if you got six hours uh go ahead and uh check out their next episode and uh you know follow them until we uh butt heads week number two there you go you can follow us after that too so, right oh, larry you thanks know. so much man we appreciate uh appreciate you bringing us on it was my pleasure yeah guys. You, do, you do good work especially for going solo i like your i like your stuff a lot I appreciate it. I appreciate it, guys. So um, we'll see them again week number two. We got uh, Brent and Ren helping us preview the 2017 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Brent Allen, Ren Dax of the PewterCast podcast. You can find them on iTunes and... uh, pretty much every other uh, podcast uh, service out there. Um, they were running down the list. Um, maybe I should get on some of those. I can get some more listeners too. But, uh, you know, um, like I said, great conversation, a lot of good info and a good talk about the uh, the Buccaneers and where they think these guys are, are headed this year. And, uh, you know, it's nice. And I'm actually jealous, you know, for them to be so optimistic about the future uh, of their team because everything is pointing in the right direction. Uh, for them so um, you know they get a few injury bugs to, to you know to go their way and you know some keep some guys healthy and uh, they hit on uh, these draft picks OJ Howard is who they think that uh, he's going to be so on and so forth there's gonna be some exciting stuff going on uh, down in uh, Tampa uh, this year so we'll keep an eye on the uh, the Bucks and uh, hopefully they uh, they blossom after week two so we can uh, sneak in a victory uh, when we're down there in Raymond James uh, in September. So, uh, but nonetheless, we'll, uh, we'll, en- we enjoy talking to them and we'll enjoy having them back to preview that game, uh, in a very short period of time. I mean, today is already July 2nd. I mean, it's just, it's already here. So, uh, you know, we are 24 days away from the bears kicking off training camp in Bermanet on the 26th. Um, you know, and this next episode that we've got coming up, uh, Nafisa Hussein from blog and dirty, uh, for the Falcons is the last NFC South show. Then we've got our three friends from the NFC North, uh, Chris Gates, Jeremy Reisman, Evan Western, to help us preview the NFC North. And then that's that's it. We talk about the Bears, and then we close up shop. And the next time you hear from me after that, I'll be reviewing week one of the preseason game between the Bears and the Broncos. So, I mean, it's uh, it's all happening. It'll be here before you know it. So, uh, you know, looking forward to getting the season uh, underway. Um you know, as you guys, you know, as I told you several times during the fall and going through that miserable 2016 season that 
thank God the Cubs are doing so well and uh, I'm not even a baseball guy. I've said that a thousand times. Well, not only am I not a baseball guy, but the Cubs are a 500 team this year. So I'm not exactly falling over myself to watch Cub games to fill to fill up the airspace. So, uh, you know, I really need football season to get started if the Cubs are going to keep going on uh, being a 500 team uh, this year. So um, uh, anyway, like I said, Nafisa Hussein from Blog and Dirty will be talking to us about the Falcons. I'll be actually interviewing her on the 4th of July. So that show will be out on Wednesday the 5th. Uh, I'll be talking to Chris Gates later on that week and getting that show probably on uh, Friday, most likely Saturday, getting that show out. Then Jeremy Reisman, Evan Western the week after that. Then the Bears show to close things up. And then it's on to the 2017 preseason and more importantly, the 2017 regular season and getting things going there. So uh, it, it's, it's 24 days away from training camp. And I don't know what the count is to the first preseason game or the day counts to the first game. It's, you know, it doesn't matter because it'll be here before you know it. So, uh, like I said, I'll be back on Wednesday with Nafisa Hussein from Blog and Dirty talking about the Falcons. And until then, my name is Larry D. And this has been the Chicago Bears Review. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring... The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate.